How you say something is important. Speaking to your problem needs to be done in a certain way to be powerful and effective. This message is the sixth in the series, Rudders and Roots. The message is entitled, Addressing Your Problems, Part Four. Here is Pastor Dale Shields. We're continuing this morning in our series entitled, Change Your Words and Change Your Life. We're talking about the importance of the words of your mouth. Your words have a tremendous impact. The Apostle James gives us these words in James chapter 3, these instructions, if you will, this point of understanding about our words that we've been looking at for several weeks together. Let me read this for you. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we're powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means our character is mature and fully developed. James says, if you can get a handle on your words, it's a pretty, pretty good indication that your life is growing, that, that your character is developing in a positive way. And then he makes this observation, verses 3 and 4, horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body, and the same with mighty ships, so they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. James says, think about these illustrations. A horse is guided by a bit in its mouth, and a ship is directed by a rudder. Big ship, little rudder, but it gets, where it gets the ship where it needs to go. And then he makes a statement in verse number five. I'd like to ask you to read it together with me aloud and loudly. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. James says you have to remember that your tongue is like that rudder on a ship. It's like that bit in a horse's mouth. Your tongue, your words have tremendous power. He's saying if you'll control your words, you can bring positive benefits to people, to your own life. And if you have an uncontrolled, undisciplined tongue, you're going to wreak a lot of havoc. The writer of Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Proverbs reminds us of this as well. In Proverbs 21, he says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So again, we're reminded of this tremendous power of our words. Now, when it comes to the words of our mouth, part of what happens when you and I become a Christian believer is we have to start learning what I would call the language of heaven. God speaks a certain way. There's a certain language that's in heaven. If you were to go into the heavenly realms right now, you would, you would perhaps be amazed at the language of heaven. There's a language, if you will, that God speaks. And just like learning any language, it takes time, it takes intention. The same is true with learning the language of heaven. How does God speak and how does God want us to speak? We have to acquire that language as believers. And the basic dimension of the language of heaven is this. The language of heaven is language that agrees with God that steps into agreement with who God is, lines up. When our words line up with what God says, then we're speaking the language of heaven. And that's how part of the way that our relationship with God is improved because Amos, the prophet, says in Amos 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And so you and I need to come into agreement with God, not only with our actions, but also with our words. So to walk with God means that you begin to speak the words of God in your life in positive ways, in ways that transform the way you think and the way that you live. Now, one of the areas where we have the most challenge, I think, in terms of speaking God's Word in our life is the area of difficulty and problems. All of us have problems and difficulties at times, and it's very easy, I think, to praise God when things are going well. It's easy to speak the right words, positive words, when everything's lining up in a great way in your life. It becomes far more difficult when life is, you're in a trial, you're facing a difficult period of time in your life. And in those moments, we all have this tendency to go negative. Anybody would agree with me this morning when you're going through a problem? Them, you tend to go negative. You shake your head and go ahead and just acknowledge it this morning. It'll be good for you. Confession is good for the soul, all right? 
So we all have this tendency to go negative when life is hard. And so it's in those moments that we need to really understand what God says because you need God in your difficulties. You need God in your trials. You need God in your problems. And so it's important that we're walking in agreement with God when we're going through challenging times in life. And I've been talking to you for several weeks about how you deal with problems. How do you handle these? And we've talked about this whole principle that when you're going through a difficult time in your life, you're facing a problem, it's important that you learn to talk to God about your problem, but it's also important that you learn to talk to your problem about your God. It's not just enough to talk to God about your problem. You need to speak some things to your problem about your God. And the main thing that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks that we're looking at again today is that this very important statement that will be on your notes, how you speak to your problems matters. How you speak to them. Talk to God about your problems and talk to your problems about your God. So how you talk, how you address your problems makes a difference. How you say things is very important when you're addressing problems in your life. Jesus made this very clear. He taught us not only to speak to God about our problems, but to talk to our problems about God. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22, listen to what he said. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, notice what's the word there, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. By the way, mountains represent problems or obstacles in your life. Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus was referring to. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he... Now, would you begin to agree that your words are fairly important, right? Jesus says that You've got to speak to your mountain if you're going to address this issue in your life. It's not just enough to say, I have faith in God, but take that faith and translate it into what you say to your mountains, how you talk to your problems, and understanding that your words are going to have actually an impact on your problems. Then in verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. There we're, we're reinforced in the idea of talking to God about problems. There's a proper way Jesus is giving us regarding our problems. How do you address them in life? And today I'm going to share with you three things that are essential. If you're going to talk to your problems about your God, you've got to understand these three principles. Number one, the first thing today is this, to courage, to, to, to speak to your problems about your God, you've got to speak courageously. You've got to speak with courage. Courage is an important word. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to step in the face of fear and move forward. We all need courage because we need to courageously tell our problems about our God because we have a confidence in who God is. This morning, I'd like to remind you of who God is. God is the God to whom nothing is impossible. God is the God to whom nothing is too hard. There's not a single thing that you're facing in your life right now that goes beyond the scope of God's ability to handle. And so when it comes to dealing with the problem in your life, you've got to have some courage on the inside of you because the devil will always try to intimidate you. He will do everything possible to cause you to keep your mouth shut against your problem or to make you spout negativity or doubt or discouragement. That's the role the devil plays in your life. He wants to bring you down. The, never, the devil never builds you up. He he always wants to intimidate you, to bring you down, to tell you this is too big for God. You're never going to get past this. This is never, you're never going to overcome. This is, this is something that's going to take you out. It's going to, something that's going to take you down. All of us have heard those words in our mind before from the adversary when he intimidates us and tells us, you know what? This is going to be your undoing. This is what's going to destroy your life. 
We'll talk about those words in just a moment, but I want to take you to a story that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks from, from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath, and I want you to listen to what Goliath says to David when David is about to come against him, and here you see some of the strategy of the devil and his work against us. He, that's Goliath, said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. There was Goliath speaking words to David. We're going to destroy you. You're, this is all over with. You'll never succeed in this situation. And the devil loves to tell you that you're never going to overcome. The devil loves to tell you that you're never going to make it. The devil loves to tell you that this is going to be your undoing. It's extremely important when you're facing a problem in your life that you stand up like David did and say, no, this is not going to destroy me. I'm going to destroy you. And that's exactly what David did. He said, you're an uncircumcised Philistine who's come against the armies of the living God. And today I'm going to slay you and I'm going to cut off your head and feed it to the birds of the sky. And you're, you're going to be, it's not me that's going to be done. It's you that will be done today. There's courage that God wants to give you. Notice Joshua chapter one, verses eight and nine. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Notice that. Keep the book of the law always on your lips, you're always speaking it, meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. And then notice what God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let me tell you a little bit about this passage. Joshua now is leading the children of Israel. Moses had died. All the leadership responsibility is on him. It's his job to take the children of Israel into Canaan, the promised land. He's leading for his very first time. Going into Canaan was going to represent a lot of battles that would happen there, and so he's feeling inside inferior, and he's feeling afraid. Have you ever felt inferior and afraid in the face of your problem? We all have. And that's exactly what David, that's exactly what Joshua was feeling. And there in that moment, God speaks to Joshua and says, here's what you do. Get the Word of God on your lips, meditate on it day and night, be careful to do everything that's written in it. If you'll do this, you'll be prosperous and successful. And by the way, don't let fear get a grip on you. Be courageous and be strong. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. God called Joshua to have some courage in the face of his problem. God is calling you today to have some courage in the face of your problem. Do not allow fear to intimidate you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes to Timothy, his protege, his, his, his mentoree, if you, you might call him. And he says to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's reminding Timothy, don't let fear intimidate you and drive you out of God's plan for your life. 1 John 4, 18, where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love does what? Drives out fear. So when you're facing a problem, you need to rise up with some courage. Is there a problem in your life today? There needs to be courage inside of you. Courage does not mean that you don't feel afraid. Courage means that you're going to move forward in spite of what you feel. Okay. See, a lot of people think that I'm, if I'm courageous, I'm never going to feel any fear. That's not true. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is moving forward in the face of fear. That's what courage is. So here's this challenge given to us that we've not been given the spirit of fear, of power, love, and of a sound mind, that God's love drives away or drives out perfect fear. Let me remind you of something. The devil is a liar. 
The devil will lie to you all the time and tell you you're not going to make it. He will lie to you and tell you this is going to be your undoing. But always remember this, God is true and the devil is a liar. Okay. I don't say that just in a casual way. I want you to really get this in your heart. There's no truth that ever comes out of the adversary. He cannot speak the truth. And so he loves to get your ear and he loves to begin to feed you all the negativity and all the things that would make you afraid. Jesus reminds us of this in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's speaking to the religious leaders of his day and he says, you are the offspring of your father, the devil, and you serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start, talking about the devil. He never stood with the one who is the true prince, for he is full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies. When the devil shows up in your life and that little self-talk starts inside of you, you're not going to make it. This is going to be your undoing. You'll never get beyond this. This is going to destroy you. You rise up with courage and say, that's a lie. God's truth says he is with me. I will make it. I'm going to stand with courage in the face of my fears. There's an affirmation on your notes today. I want you to read it together with me. It's going to be on the screen also. An affirmation. We gave you a little book a few weeks ago called Unleashed. In that Unleashed book, there are 25 affirmations of faith based upon Scripture. I hope that you're using this. This is part of learning the language of heaven, getting it inside of you. And there's one of the affirmations that we're going to share together as a congregation this morning and read it aloud and loudly. But let me tell you something about an affirmation. You need to read those affirmations courageously. To stand, if you will, on the inside because a courageous person doesn't shrink back in fear. A courageous person throws their shoulders back and they lift their head up and they say, you know what, it might be tough right now, but I'm going to make it through this problem. It might be difficult, but I've got the courage that God is with me. I'm not going to succumb to the lies of the enemy. I'm going to throw my shoulders back, and I'm going to lift my head up, and I'm going to declare what God says about my life. I am not going to be destroyed by this. I am going to make it. Say it together. I am going to make it. Now, let's read this affirmation, but if you will, throw your shoulders back a little bit this morning and lift your head up and let your voice resound aloud together. Let's read this like we really believe it this morning because I believe that you do. Are you ready? to read at all of our campuses. Here we go. Are you ready? Come on. Are you ready? Here we go. In faith. Come on. You can do better than that. Here we go. In faith and with a heart to obey, I confidently declare I am controlled by faith, not by fear. God's perfect love for me drives out fear in my life. I give my worries and fears to God, and He gives me His peace and works in all my concerns and challenges. Now, let's read it again like we really mean it. Are you ready? Here you go. In faith and with a heart to obey, I confidently declare I am controlled by faith, not by fear. God's perfect love for me drives out fear in my life. I give my worries and fears to God, and He gives me His peace and works in all my concerns and challenges. Can anyone say amen to that this morning? Okay. See, that's courage that rises up in you. And so how do you address your problems? How do you speak to your problems about your God? You speak how courageously. There's courage in you. Second of all, you speak with authority. Authoritatively tell your problems about your God. Notice again Jesus' words in Mark 11. Listen closely to what he said. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says, note that word, whoever says to this mountain, it's an important word, 
Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, again, there's a key word, will be done. He will have whatever he says. What word is coming up repeatedly here? <clears throat> says, okay? What is the word? Says. Therefore, I, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, there's a key word there. That's the word that I pointed out. That's the word says, okay? Now, sometimes it is helpful for us to get back into the time of Scripture and understand certain words because certain words are, are, are translated a little bit differently in the English language from the original text of the New Testament. And so, uh, from time to time, it's helpful to understand what, a, what an original word meant. And so, that word says in the Greek New Testament is a word that is much more powerful than we tend to think of. We tend to think, well, he said something, she said something, he says something. We think of it in kind of casual terms. But the actual Greek word that is used there literally means this. It is to command or affirm or speak out. Whoever commands this mountain to be removed and cast into the... Whoever speaks out to this mountain, whoever, whoever affirms that this mountain needs to be taken up and cast into the sea, it is a word of authority. It applies a sense of authority. Now, if you've ever been in the military, you understand something about authority. Authority, when authority is exercised, it's usually given in the form of a command, and a command declares action. If there's a command, if a, if a superior officer gives you a command, he's not asking for an argument, right? He's telling you, this is what you do right now. This is the command. I'm telling you, this needs to be done with dispatch. It needs to be done now. I'm speaking from my position of authority, and I'm now delegating this to happen. Now, when you and I speak with authority, we need to speak with a sense of command. Why? Because God has empowered you as a believer in Jesus Christ. God has deputized you with authority. Got a few little scatterings of amen here and there. Okay, that's all right. Okay. But God has deputized you with authority. This is important. Just like if you were authorized as a law enforcement officer, you were sworn in, you were deputized, and you had authority to arrest people. You had authority to execute the law, if you will, to enforce the law. What God has given you through Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ, He has deputized you with authority. What is the authority? He's given you the authority of Jesus' name. He's given you the authority of, Je of the Word of God. He's given you the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. That when things come your way and difficulties are faced in your life, that he's given you the authority to rise up in his name and speak to situations, to rise up with his word and speak to situations, and to rise up and proclaim the power of the blood of Jesus over situations. But authority is never going to be of any value to you unless you use it. There are a lot of Christians that are not using the authority that has been given to them. They are what I might call passive believers. But God wants to move you from passivity to a place of standing firm and I would say appropriately aggressive in the utilization of the authority of the name of Jesus, the Word of God, and pleading and declaring the power of Jesus' blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just something we say. It's not just something we, we celebrate and communion. There's power in the blood. There's power in the word and there's power in the name. But you've got to use that power. 
Now, when you use your authority, you're not commanding God to do something. What you're doing is you're commanding your problem, you're commanding your circumstances, you're commanding your environment to come in line with God's Word and in line with God's will. You're not telling God what to do, you're telling your problem what to do. You're utilizing the name of Jesus, the Word of God, and the blood of the Lamb. Jesus taught us to pray this way in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then notice this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is more of a statement than it is an ask. He's saying what you need to do when you're praying is proclaim, declare, God, I'm declaring in my life, I'm declaring in my family, I'm declaring in my finances, I'm declaring in my work, I'm declaring in the authority of your name, your kingdom come and your will be done right here here on earth just like it is in heaven. I'm not just asking for this. I'm proclaiming it with the authority of your name. Now, this is illustrated to us in a number of different ways. Let me bring you uh, a story from the apostle Paul's life, Acts chapter 16. Paul is in a place called Philippi, and I want you to notice what he does there as he's preaching the gospel in Philippi, Macedonia. He says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So there's this young girl that was demon-possessed. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Let me stop there for a moment. So Paul would go out and preach different places around Philippi, and every time he was preaching, every day this this girl would show up and start disrupting the crowd, Okay. She'd start spouting these things, and, and, and it would disrupt Paul's ability to preach the gospel. So she's just got to hanging around, creating problems for Paul, okay? Verse 18, she kept this up for, what does it say? Many days. So this goes on for a period of time. I love this next part. Notice what it says. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Aren't you glad being annoyed is in the Bible? Aren't you glad, okay? You feel much more like a biblical Christian now, don't you, Okay. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, what? What is the phrase there? I command you to come out of her at that moment. What happened? The Spirit. We say that was Paul. I want you to understand something. Sometimes you have to get so annoyed with something, so annoyed with an attack of the adversary on your life, so annoyed with something that's going on, a problem that you're facing, that you will rise up in the name of Jesus and begin to make a statement against it. It's not that you're coming against people or or even things, but you're coming against the spirit that is behind it. I will tell you, there is authority to drive out the works of darkness by your words. James, notice what he says in James chapter 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and what will he do? flee from you. Let me stop there for a moment. James treats the devil as the devil needs to be treated as a reality, okay? The devil is not just some figment of an imagination. There's a real devil. There are real demonic spirits that will try to harass your life. You've got to understand this. We're in a spiritual warfare. I don't mean to make, say that to make you afraid or somehow go around looking for demons all over the place. You don't need to do that, okay? What I'm telling you, there's an invisible world out here that you and I are living in and there's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of darkness, and they're at battle, they're at war, and you're, you and I are in that warfare. And so James says, you've got to submit yourselves then to God. Put yourself under the authority of God, and resist the devil, that is, make a stand against him, and he will flee from you. Now, 
That word resist is a key word because that word resist, I've talked about this before. I want to remind you of it again today. If you look again at the original language, <clears throat> that word resist is a word from which we get our English word antihistamine, okay? An antihistamine, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you exactly what an antihistamine does, but somehow an antihistamine, when it gets in your system, it fights against those things that try to make your nose run, your eyes swell up, and all. it's, it's fighting, it's resisting those things that are happening in your body. So Paul says you've got to be an antihistamine Christian. You've got to resist the devil, knowing if you'll stand in opposition of him, he will flee from you. And then it says, now come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, you got to be, you've got to be authoritatively aggressive in your spiritual journey. Because if you don't, I promise you this, the devil will push you around. Amen. Are you hearing me? Okay. Amen. Passive people always get pushed around. And so you've got to be aggressive, spiritually aggressive. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew eleven twelve. From the moment Jesus stepped onto the, John stepped onto the scene until now, Jesus speaks here. The realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth and, read the rest with me, and passionate people have taken hold of its power. You've got to have some passion inside of you. So when you're dealing with a problem in your life, we talk to God about our problem, but we also talk to our problem about our God. Amen? Amen. And how do we talk to our problem about our God? We talk, throw our shoulders back and lift our heads up and we speak courageously. And then we stand in that courage and we speak how? What was the next word I gave you? Authoritatively. We speak with authority. We speak not in our authority, but in the authority of the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the word of God. And the last thing I want to mention today, and that's, this, this perhaps may be at some level the most important thing I'll share with you today. All of it's important. This sort of is the capstone of what I want to share with you today. You've got to learn to engage your praise over your problems. You and I have to learn to praise God in the face of our problems. The most powerful words, listen, the most powerful words that will ever come out of your mouth are the words of praise. The most powerful words. Because if you're going to live in victory, you've got to learn to praise God. Praise is what lifts you above your mountains. Sometimes you might speak to a mountain and it may not move, okay? You ever spoken to a mountain before? A problem? It didn't go away? Okay. But here's the good news. Even when you speak to a mountain and it may not necessarily move immediately, praise will lift you above it, okay? Praise will lift you over it. Praise will still help you get beyond what you're dealing with in terms of its devastating effect upon your life. Because even if mountains don't move, praise causes you to move higher, even if the mountains don't move, praise causes you to move higher. Why? Because there are three things in your notes praise will do for you. Praise always changes your perspective. It change, when you begin to praise God, you stop looking at your problem and you start looking at God who is your solution. You, can't, you cannot truly praise God and be looking at your problem at the same time. You have to shift your perspective from your problem to your God. And so praise does that. Second thing that praise does is it always welcomes God's presence. Every time you praise God, God shows up. God's presence always, I could take you through many passages in the Bible that prove this to us, and then praise as God shows up always releases God's power. And so when you praise God, it changes your perspective, it welcomes God's presence, it releases God's power. Your mouth needs to be filled with praise. When you're facing a difficulty, let me give you some examples. 
Example number one, Joshua and the children of Israel, going back to them, they were about to go into the land of Canaan. They've crossed over the Jordan River, and now they're going to take their very first city. It's this massive walled city called Jericho. There was no way to get in. They were vulnerable because this is a walled city, and they're on the outside of the walls. And of course, the, 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 those that were on the inside, the Canaanites on the inside of Jericho, could very easily go to the top of the walls and could, could shoot their arrows against, uh, against the Israelites. And so they were very vulnerable, and God gave them a strategy to take the city. And the strategy was a strategy of marching around the city walls for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were march around seven days, then to give a great shout to God. And God said, if you do this, I promise you through your praise, the walls will come down. Notice Joshua 6.20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. I would submit to you this morning, had they not been willing to shout the shout of praise, the walls would have never come down. And there's some walls in your life that are only going to come down when you make the choice to shout the shout of praise. This was not just any kind of shout. They weren't just saying, oh, Hooray. No, they were shouting their praise to God. They were declaring who God was in the face of a walled city. And their praise brought walls down. Let me give you a second story. King Jehoshaphat over this little tribe of Judah. He's facing this invasion of three massive troops, three, three massive countries against him. And he's consulted God, talked to God. And now the prophet has spoken and given them instruction related, related to what they were to do. Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 21. After consulting the people, Joshua appointed men to sing to the Lord and to pray, to do what? To praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So God's instruction was here, Jehoshaphat, get some singers together and all these three armies are going to come against you, but I'm going to send the singers out in front of the battle force and they're to simply sing praise to God, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Notice verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were what? They were defeated. How were they defeated? They were defeated not by an army. They were defeated by praise. Certain enemies in your life will only be defeated by praise. King David understood the power and the practice of praise. In fact, you read 150 psalms that are written in Scripture, related, many of them by David. And notice one of these in Psalm 63, beginning in verse 3. My lips will praise you. Notice this, a will, it's a choice. You don't praise God because you feel like it. You praise God because it's the right thing to do. You praise God because it is the way of victory in your life. Don't wait until you feel like praising. Praise until you until the victory begins to rise up in your soul. You don't have to feel the victory first. You praise your way to victory. My lips will praise you because your mercy is better than life itself. So I will thank you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands to pray in your name. You satisfy my soul with the richest foods. My mouth will sing your praise with joyful lips. Listen to Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He is commanding his soul to praise God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David said, I learned to praise God. I'm commanding my soul to praise him. And what gets me started praising him as I look back on all that God has done in my life. 
You may, have a, you may have some tough stuff going on in your life right now that are things that are very difficult, but I promise you if you'll stop for a moment and say, I'm going to think about what God has done in my life. God has done some incredible things. He's gotten you out of messes before. He'll get you out of this mess today, okay? He's gotten you out of ch- challenges in the past. He'll get you through this one. He's gotten you through times when you didn't have enough, and now he's provided for you. You can look back and you can reflect on that and say, my soul is going to praise God based upon his benefits, what he's done in my life life. King David understood this. Notice Jesus himself practiced praise. Did you know Jesus was a praiser? He was. Listen to this. Matthew 14. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Let's stop there for a moment. Jesus has been with a whole bunch of people all day long teaching and now he looks out and says, you know, these guys are really, really hungry, and we need to feed them. Hey, disciples, let's give them some food. Okay. Now, just think with me for a moment. You're one of the disciples. You're thinking, uh, is he talking to you? Right, where are we going to get food for? Okay. We don't have any food. What are you talking about food? There's no way to get food here. As we'll see in just a moment, there are 5,000 men, plus the women and the children that were there. And so this is what seems like a very impossible request. The need is bigger than the supply. Have you been there before? The need is bigger than the supply. And notice what happens next. Very important part of the story. You know it, but listen to it again. We have here only. Everybody say only. Only creates an awareness of your limitation. Right? That's what the word only means. We own, it's a limitation. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. What, did, what was the first thing he did? What did he do? He gave thanks. Now stop there for a moment. And then he broke the loaves. They brought to Jesus five loaves and two fish. There were 5,000 men plus women and children. There could have been 15,000, 20,000 people there that day. And he's got five loaves and two fish. Big need. Small supply. But what was the first thing that Jesus did? What did he do? Before he broke the bread, what did he do? He gave thanks. Here's a principle that I saw in this. I hope you'll get in your life. Sometimes when you look at your life, you just don't have enough to meet the need that is before you. And the tendency that we all have is to look at the need and forget the resource we have, okay? To look at what we lack instead of what we possess, okay? Jesus took it what, looked at what it was given to him and he looked up to the Father and said, Lord, I thank you for what you've given me. I'm not going to look for a moment at the need. I'm going to thank you for what you provided. Okay? I'm going to thank you. It may seem like a little, but God, with, with you, a little can become a lot. And so, Lord, I'm going to thank you and praise you. I'm going to honor you and worship you for what you provided for me because I know that what you provided is going to be enough. It's going to get me through. See, that's what praise does. Praise looks at what you have. It doesn't look at what you don't have. It looks at what you have, and you give thanks to God for what you have. And we know this story. Of course, as they began to distribute the bread and the, and the fish, everybody ate, everybody was satisfied, and God took a little bit, and he made it a lot. But the turning point was the point of praise. Are you hearing me this morning? The thing that changed the problem and brought a solution was praise. John chapter 11, verse number 40, down through verse 44. Listen to this story. We're just about done today. I'm bringing this this plane in for a landing, but you need to get this. 
Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so Jesus is with Martha and Mary, and their brother Lazarus has died. They put him in the tomb. He's been dead for four days. He's already decaying. So they're at this tomb. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, what did he say? What? Father, I what? So we've got an open tomb with a man that's not only dead, but he's decaying. And Jesus is going to raise him. He's, he's promised to raise him from the dead. What is the first thing that Jesus does? He gives thanks. He praises God. In the face of death, in the face of decay, what does Jesus do? Can you do the same? In the face of death and in the face of decay, can you give thanks? Can you praise God in the face of that? Why? Because that's where your miracle is. And then he says, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this is for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. Now here's the authority. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The miracle of resurrection happened because it started with praise. Paul practiced it in his life. Acts 16. After they'd been severely flogged, this is again Philippi, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received their orders, these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So now they've been beaten for preaching the gospel, just short of their life, thrown in the inner prison, and they're fastened with stocks. It's, it's late at night. And the Bible says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What did they choose to do in their problem? Praying, singing hymns to God's praise. And the other prisoners were listening to him. You know that people are listening to what comes out of your mouth. Okay? They're listening for what you're doing in the midst of your problem. Are you praising or are you complaining? So the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. You know that praise will break chains in your life? Every one of us are called. We might say, well, Jesus did it, and Joshua did it, and Paul did it, but what about me? Am I, am I supposed to do that? Yes, all of us. Notice Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise His unequaled greatness. Praise Him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise Him with the lyre and harp. Praise Him with the tam tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with strings and flutes. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord, praise the Lord. In six verses, 13 times the word praise is used. In six verses, 13 times we're exhorted to praise. Ephesians 1, notice verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure so we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. That gives you a lot of things to praise God for. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18, in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13.15, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to Him. Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7, now we're going to go into the heavenly realms just for a moment. Then I heard again, John says, what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roaring of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, remember we're talking about this principle of when you're going through difficulty, you talk to God about your problems, but you also talk to your problems about your God. Listen to Paul's words as we're wrapping up today in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. You hear that? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Let's talk to God about your problems. But it doesn't stop there. And don't forget to do what? Thank Him for His answers. That's the praise part. That's talking to your problems about your God. If you do this, if you do what? If you talk to God about your problems and talk to your problems about your God with praise, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your heart quiet, hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. When you're facing problems, you need to throw back your shoulders and lift up your head and be courageous. When you're facing problems in your courage, you need to stand up in the authority that Jesus has given you, the authority of his name, the authority of his word, and the authority of his blood. And when you're facing problems in your life with your head lifted high, your shoulders thrown back, and the authority of God at work in your life, you then begin to praise God in the face of it. And that's where victory comes. You've told God about your problems you're telling your problems about your God. And I promise you, either the mountain will move or you'll move over the mountain and you'll move forward with your life. Amen? Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful that you've spoken to us. We're grateful for the instruction of your word, how it gets into us and it works in us. It helps us to grow. It helps us to change. It breaks up the ground inside of us and helps us to think differently. So I pray this morning that you would infuse your people today with courage, with a sense of that authority in Christ that you've given us. Lord, not an arrogance, but an authority based in our dependence upon you, our submission to you. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to be people of praise and people of worship, we pray. Seal these words in our heart today, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. 
Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.